Hey, Dutch Sheets here, and uh, I'm looking forward to sharing a few of my thoughts with you today just to keep you encouraged. I'm uh, very, we're all very engaged in this election. Uh, the recount, we just want justice. We want a fair count. We don't want anything to be stolen. We know there was voter fraud. Uh, we don't know how much, but it's only right that uh, that is pursued fully so we can all know we have an honest election. I feel like my responsibility as a leader in the prayer network, uh, that my assignment, among other things, of course, I pray myself and I join in prayer meetings, but I feel like one of my most important assignments is to, to keep you encouraged so that you keep praying. And that comes through reminding us that our prayers really do matter. I'm going to talk about, I'm actually going to talk about, uh, I'm going to do a podcast uh, Monday and we'll get it out that evening or Tuesday, hopefully Monday evening on why we have to persevere. You know, it's important to know that we're not just trying to talk God into doing something. We're not trying to change his mind. There's no magic number. If we're just holy enough or spiritual enough and ask him enough, he'll finally be motivated to move. Uh, I'll talk about that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I'll share with you biblically uh, why I believe we persevere. But it's not to change God's mind. If we're not praying in accordance with his will already, then we just need to to move on. But I believe, and I'll talk about this in detail, literal power and authority is being released as we pray and decree. And it requires a certain level of power and spiritual influence, authority, power to be released to accomplish certain things. I'm going to lay that out. It will encourage you greatly. I also just try to keep you encouraged by passing on what I'm hearing the prophets say. And none of them that I'm connected with, and I'm connected with a, a lot of them, none of them are saying, give up. They're all saying, if we pray, we can, we can do this. So, but I want to talk to you today just, you know, to encourage you a little bit and, and share my thoughts as I have in the past. And I want to start with this incredible story. I write about this in the book, Watchman Prayer. It's on page 110. A friend of mine, she's in heaven now, but she was a real matriarch in the prayer uh, movement named Beth Alves or Alvis. She shares the, the following incredible testimony. Uh, she said, this involves uh, a, a story about her cousin, which whom she had not seen in 10 years. You're going to see as we read this, this is a long time ago during the Vietnam War, which would have been the 60s, early 70s. I crawled out of my bed in the middle of the night for a glass of water when a picture of my cousin canvassed my mind. Suddenly, I dropped to my knees and began to cry out. And it's like she was in a sleep state. So it wasn't like she was thinking this through. She just, she saw it and she just, something just came out of her spirit. And it was, God, don't let Mike move. They're her cousin. Keep him still, Lord. Keep him still. Oh, God, please don't let him move. Hold him, Lord. Hold him. Even though I was pleading on Mike's behalf with my words, she says, I remember thinking, this is, this is ridiculous. What am I doing? Why am I praying this? Then the words ceased, and when they did, 
I couldn't muster another word. So I got up, drank a glass of water, started back to the bedroom. <clears throat> Excuse me. Again, something came over me and I fell to the floor and began to cry out with a grave sense of urgency. Don't let him move, God. Don't let Mike move. Mike, stay still, stay still. The words again came to an abrupt end. This time, she says, I thought, this must be a nightmare. Am I awake? Am I asleep? What's going on? <clears throat> I had no feeling inside of me other than the feeling to pray. I got up and began to pace the floor, wondering what in the world this was about. One more time, I took a few steps toward the bedroom. Here we go again. When again, I dropped to the floor. Only this time, I was yelling. Get him up, Lord. Get him, get him to run. Run, Mike. Lord, help him to run. Run, run. Let him run, God. Run, run, run. After several minutes, a calm came over me, and I returned to bed for the night. The following day, I called my aunt to see if she could help me put the pieces together about my puzzling outcries the night before. She informed me that Mike was, at the time, in Vietnam. The experience still made little sense, she said. Finally, a month later, my aunt, my aunt called to read a letter she had received. The letter told how Mike, who was a pilot, had been shot down and had landed in a tree. He had been warned to get out of the area as quickly as possible, but explained that just a few hundred yards from the crash site, he fell into a bush. Mom, he wrote, it was like I was pinned down. I felt like somebody was sitting on me. The Viet Cong came and were unknowingly standing on my pant leg while looking up at my parachute in the sky or in the tree. They turned around and began to slash the bushes with their bayonets. It looked safe. They were looking the other way, slashing. It looked safe, so I started to get up and was about to run when once again, I fell into the bush as though someone was pushing me. I laid there for a couple of minutes when suddenly I had an impulse to get up and run. I heard a helicopter, so I sprinted through the wooded area, following the direction of the noise to an open space where I was whisked off to safety. The helicopter crew said they came in response to my beeper, and yet it had not been working when I was shot down. That, my dear friends, is intercession. I just want to point out the fact that sometimes we don't have all the answers. We just pray by and, and, and move in faith. Sometimes we're moved on to pray and we, I need to pray for the president right now. Lord, encourage him, encourage him, encourage his team. You don't know what they just heard. They may have just been dealt a horrible blow. Uh, you know, you, you may, you know, you may begin to feel the need to pray for the for the praying army that they would be encouraged. Lord, don't get them get discouraged. Keep them going. You don't know what may have just been released into the the, the media and through the media uh, the, that in several people are hearing and growing discouraged. We just have to pray and do what we know is right, 
and leave the results to God. And in her case, Beth's case, even though this was so weird, she probably thought, am I crazy? It took a month for her to know what happened so that she could be assured this really was God and, and he was doing something. But her prayers were holding him down twice. And then her prayers let him know when to get up and run. That's Holy Spirit leading and guiding and helping in intercession. And I'm trusting him to do that for us in this battle that we're in. I can only imagine this, the discouragement that tries to come on the president at times uh, and his team. I have heard, I, I only can assume it's true that there even have been people close to him that have told him, you need to give up. You just need to concede. But I just want to say to you, uh, we he doesn't need to do that. We're fighting for something bigger than a presidency. We're warring for the soul of a nation. We can't let someone in who the first day will start reversing pro-life laws and who will start uh, promoting agendas and, and immoral movements that are going to bring greater curses on this nation. We just can't do that. We have to fight. We can't. We can't put people in power, uh, or at least we've had to war against that, who, who are uh, against our Judeo-Christian beliefs. And we just have to fight, and this is worth fighting for. So uh, even though sometimes we don't understand, we don't know everything that's going on, we decree what the prophets have said, we decree Scripture, we pray in the Spirit, we do all the things that we need to do. Because God needs our prayers. The second thing I want to say, I, I, I said this in one of my recent other podcast, other recent podcasts, but there is this horrendous theology that controls many people and it controls a lot of them just subconsciously that simply says God doesn't really need our prayers. He's going to do what he wants to do anyway. He, 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 no one can stop God. Well, of course they can't, not, not based on his power or his authority, but God has chosen to work on the earth through the authority he delegated to humankind in Genesis 1, and he's a God of his word, and he doesn't break his word. He does it that way. And to say that God always gets what he wants just because he's sovereign and he can do whatever he wants to, and because he's sovereign is ludicrous and an insult to his character. That would mean he was for the Holocaust. That means that God has some mysterious good thing he wants to do through abortion and he's behind it. He, he's not. He, God doesn't always get his way. Ezekiel 22 verse 30 tells us very clearly. I sought for he God. I sought for someone, a human to stand in the gap for me so I wouldn't have to destroy this this people over here. Uh, if I could have found someone to ask me and intercede, I wouldn't have had to do it. But then he says very clearly, I couldn't find anyone. Therefore, I had to go ahead and bring judgment. God works through us and he doesn't always get what he wants. And so just because the prophets say God's going to do something, that's not a guarantee. That is God uh, letting us know what his will is so that we can come into partnership with him and release his will and his decrees and, and what he wants and pray and ask him for mercy, etc., so that he can do through us what he wants to do. So many people hear prophets say, I'm going to do this. Trump's next president, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they think, okay, that's done. That's guaranteed. No, it's not. Let me give you one just a uh, brief uh, example that I had intended to share, but 
You know, in First Kings 18, Elijah has the pro- uh, encounter with the prophets of Baal, and he wins that encounter. And after a great season of apostasy through uh, Jezebel and Ahab and worshiping of Baal, there's a there's a repentance and a turnaround, which Elijah was at the forefront of the, a lot of that. But at the beginning of that chapter, God spoke to him about the three-year drought that was taking place, which was a result of their sin. They were under curse and judgment, the, the nation Israel, because of serving Baal. And God comes to him and, and says, uh, go show yourself to Ahab, because I'm gonna, about to send rain. So he wanted to give Ahab a message and probably wanted this challenge to take place. But, but God said, it's now time for the rain, and I'm going to send the rain. So very clearly in that passage, very clearly, it was God's idea to bring the rain now after three years of drought. It was God's timing. He said, I'm going to do this now. Obviously, it's God's will. And yet, when you get to the end of the chapter, Elijah, after he has the confrontation, then he, his mind goes back to the rain. Oh, the, re- the repentance has happened. God says it's going to rain. Now, now he can end this drought <clears throat> and this curse. What does Elijah do? Does he sit back and relax and say, man, I'm glad that drought's over with. I'm glad God said he's going to bring the rain. No, no, far from it. He went to a mountain so he could see out over the water and see the sky. And he begins to go into intense intercession. We know it was intense because James in the New Testament tells us it was fervent prayer. He wasn't just saying, okay, God, you can send the rain now. He went into deep, travailing intercession. In fact, God, it goes so far as to tell us the position that he got in with his body, which was symbolic because it was the position that ladies, women in that day got into a squatting position to, to, to give birth. God was saying to us, this man through his effectual fervent prayer was birthing this. In other words, he was releasing the power of my spirit through his prayers to do what I wanted to do. And he had to pray, not once, not twice, three, four, five, six, seven times until he finally saw a cloud the size of a man's hand, a small cloud, but he knew it was done. So God's will and what he prophesied, spoke through Elijah, wasn't automatic. He Somehow Elijah knew the ways of God well enough to know Even when God says something, that he wants to do something, he's going to do something, he still needs us to cooperate with him to release his authority, his power. Because what he does on earth, he does through human beings. That's just how he works. So I'm encouraging you that even though prophets are saying, hey, this this is God's will, God needs for us to pray and birth this God's will is not automatic. If you're one of the, if you're a Christian or you know Christians or, or pastors who are just sitting back and say, okay, let's just see what God does. That is so unbiblical. It is so unbiblical. And others will say, well, if God wants it, nobody can stop it. He's in control. No, he's not in control of everything. He He's going to do exactly overall in the end, what he said in scriptures, how things are going to end up on the earth. That's how they're going to end up. Because God has enough wisdom and orchestrate things, and he knows where he can get it to. But little steps along the way. And, for example, your destiny, my destiny, your blessing, my blessing, 
We have a part to say in that. It's not just guaranteed because we're Christians or because God wants to do it. He gave an, a, a, a generation the opportunity to come out of Egypt and go into the promised land. It wasn't God's will that they not make it in. They didn't, the first generation didn't make it in because of their sin, their murmuring, their complaining, their lack of faith. Don't blame that on God and don't say he got what he wanted and he always gets what he wants. That wasn't God's will, but he had to wait and say, well, I'm still going to get this done, but I'm going to get it done through the next generation, 40 years from now. You just bought yourself a delay because you don't understand my ways enough. You're not listening to me. You're not agreeing with me. You're not doing what I said to do. So don't sit back and just say to yourself or others or be deceived by thinking, well, God's in control. You know, he's going to do what he wants to do. No, he needs for us to pray. I wasn't going to do this. I mentioned it in my last podcast, but I'm going to mention it again because I feel something on this. You know, when Daniel was in captivity, Daniel, excuse me, Daniel was in a captive. Israel had been given, uh, they'd been judged because of their sin. They were in a 70 year period of captivity. They were taken captive by others. Daniel was a part of that. He's carried off and serving uh, a foreign king. But he still t- stayed true to the Lord, and he was praying, and he prayed. And, but anyway, he in the latter point of that captivity, Daniel one day is reading the scroll of the prophet Jeremiah, which in essence, Daniel's reading his Bible. That's what he had then. He had the, st- the scroll of what's in our Bible, Jeremiah. And he's reading it, and he reads Jeremiah's pr- uh, prophecy of the judgment that he is actually in right now. He's saying, yep, they mocked you, Jeremiah, but you were right. Here we are. But then he keeps reading and he realizes, maybe not for the first time, maybe for the first time, I don't know, but he realizes, he does a little calculating and realizes the 70 years are up. And Lord, you said you would restore us then. The 70 years up. And if this guy's accurate when he says it's going to happen, and this is how long it's going to be, then I believe he's accurate in the restoration. So faith rose in Daniel. And what did he do? Did he sit back and say, thank God this captivity and this, this season is over? No, 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 no. Again, somehow he knew God needed something. And so he repented for the sins of the nation. He begin to travail and intercede and fast. And it took 21 years or 21 days before breakthrough came and God sent an angel to him to say, you've prevailed. This is going to happen now. But in those 21 days, when the angel got there, the, the, the angel actually said, God sent you, sent me to you to give you this message. The first day you begin to pray. In other words, it's time to do this. Somebody repents for the nation, asks for restoration. God says, okay, angels, go on down, giving the message, going to happen. Warfare in the heavenlies, the spiritual realm took place. The prince of Persia began to resist this, I'm sure with other demons, warring against the angels. Why didn't God just kick all the demons out of the way and the principality out of the way and just get the angels through? Because he works on earth through the prayers of his people through their righteous decrees, declaring what he says. 
releasing the power of Holy Spirit within to, to bring this forth. He doesn't work in spite of us. He works through us. We're his partners. We're his representatives. I teach in my book, Intercessory Prayer, on that when I, when I lay out what he said, when he gave this authority to us and said, I'm going to do it this way in Genesis 1, the, the very meaning of the word representative, we are his representatives on earth. It means to present again or represent. God shows us what he wants. We present that in the earth. We represent or represent him. Daniel did that. But notice his prayers still had to be operating for three weeks to give enough spiritual power into the situation, spiritual life, etc., for the angels to finally break through. And the angel got there and said, I was sent 21 days ago. And I'm sure the angel was thinking, this is my theology. Sure, I'm glad you didn't give, give up because we really needed your prayers to break through. <clears throat> I'm saying that to you now. I'm saying there is incredible warfare over this nation in the heavens. Incredible. I'm telling you, and I've been saying this for a while, there is a war for the soul of this nation. There are there are there is a large group of people that have been influenced by humanism, atheism, uh, wrong theologies and paradigms, secularism to say we're not one nation under God. God didn't found this nation. Uh, we, it's not even proper for us to serve one God. We don't want his influence in our government, et cetera. We don't want him in schools. There is this orchestrated effort, demonically inspired, to turn this nation away from him because they, these spirits want to turn us away from our destiny, which is to be a trumpet for him to the ends of the earth, to, to voice, to, to, to be his voice of the gospel et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're on the, we're in a war for the soul of this nation and it's coming to a head. And we're hearing God is saying, reset time, reset, reset, reset. You've stopped, you know, this president has made some strong stands, life, other strong stands, Israel, military. He's doing a lot of his policy. I don't care if you like his personality. His policies have been good and it has stopped some of this momentum. And this is why the left hates him so much. This is why the deep state hates him so much. And this battle has intensified. And I'm trying to tell you, God needs our prayers and our decrees in order to do what he wants to do. We cannot give up just like Elijah. Okay, I'm going back up. I'm going to pray again and I'm going to pray till the cloud comes and the rain starts. And Daniel says the same thing. And that's the attitude that we have to have because his will does not just automatically take place in the earth. I'm going to, and again, I'm going to do a podcast Monday. I've got to, I have to leave town, do some, a meeting or two, uh, but I'm going to do one Monday and talk about what happens when we pray. And it's connected to why we have to keep praying. We don't keep praying to, to try to influence God. We pray because we're releasing some things when we do that. Also, I want to just read a dream to you that I think will really encourage you. <clears throat> this dream was given to my friend Clay Nash yesterday. And it has to do with some of the states that we're praying for diligently. Some of these states are hanging in the balance. Uh, I think I can find maybe if I, uh, anyway, I think maybe I can remember, but it's Nevada, Arizona, uh, Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. And, and four of these states were highlighted in the, in the dream. 
Does not mean we don't keep praying about the other two? And in one of these states that was highlighted, North Carolina, it's already been called for President Trump. But 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 for some reason, the Lord still highlighted it in the dream. Maybe it's some of the local elections that need to be decided in a right way. Maybe there's going to be an attempt to, to swing it back. I don't know. But the dream is encouraging. It simply says, he says, I dreamed that four people on the political left were spinning blue four blue plates. So each person had a plate. They were spinning four blue plates on sticks above their heads. They were mocking and laughing about how they were going to serve the nation a blue plate special. Then the scene changes and the president is there. The president told an assistant, get me some, get some sharpshooters. One of the sharpshooters chosen was Lou Engel. Now, that's, this is not a word just telling Lou to pray. He's already praying. This is a word. Just like when Clay has dreams that I'm in them, usually I rep, it's what I symbolize. It's not just me that I, I'm supposed to do this, but the praying church, you, me, all of us, that's what Lou represents. Because actually the president made it plural. Get me some sharpshooters, plural. But Lou, Lou was chosen, positioned himself to shoot each of the plates. He shot the first plate. This is spiritual warfare. We're not saying we're shooting people. He didn't shoot people. He shot the plates. He shot the first plate. And as it fell, it became red and took on the shape of Georgia. The second one he shot became red. And took on the shape as it fell. The plate did. Took on the shape of North Carolina. The third plate he shot as it fell. Turned red and took on the shape of Pennsylvania. The fourth one he shot. Turned red and became sh the shape of Arizona. What is God saying? I need targeted intercession. I need sharpshooters. I need I need some people targeting these states. I tell you every day, just declare your kingdom come, your will be done in Arizona in this vote count. Every day, decree your kingdom. I command your kingdom rule into uh, uh, Pennsylvania, into Georgia, into North Carolina. Your will be done. And go ahead and include Michigan and Nevada. Just decree every day. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in this election and in these states. God is saying, I need targeted intercession for these states. And he's saying they can turn. If you'll, if you'll shoot them, if you'll target them in your intercession, uh, then, and by the way, uh, Another little hidden nugget that comes to me as I interpret this dream, which some people, you know, wouldn't know this because they don't teach and aren't called to do some of the things I do. But when God told Joshua and Joshua one, three, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I'm giving it to you. He wasn't saying everywhere you walk is yours. I'm giving it to you. God had already given it to Abraham, and it was already then Joshua's and Israel's through the promise God made to Abraham. God wasn't just saying, walk in, and every place you touch, I'll give it to you. He had already measured the land and said, this is what you get, and I've already given it. So what does it mean? Well, the word tread is a military term there. It doesn't mean just to walk around. It's the Hebrew word darak. 
and it, it means uh, load your weapon. It means bend the bow. So if, if an archer takes an arrow, knocks it in his bow, when he pulls it back and bends the bow, that's the rock. The conqueror, the conqueror's tread, the marching of an army, <laughs> the march the, is the word tread, the rock. It's, a, it's an army's march. And here's what I love. I, I love this. I was teaching this years ago in, in a Bible college in Christ for the Nations in Dallas. And I had a student there from Israel. And this is his first language. And he he raised his hand when I talked about this word. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm about to be corrected by somebody. <laughs> Maybe I'm not right about it. A little nervous. But I called on him anyway. And he said, you're absolutely right. In the Israeli army still today. When the commanding officer is about to lead the soldiers into battle, his command for load your weapons is darak, load your guns. What was God saying to Joshua? Joshua, every place you, you're willing to go in and fight for, take your weapons, follow me in the battle, deal with these giants and fight. I'm giving it to you. In other words, is God giving or are we taking? Yes. The answer is yes. God is saying it's yours. Now you get to go take this. But if you go take it, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you the strategy that will win. I'm going to give you this land. I'm promising you that. But you still have to go fight. And so that's that's what he's saying in this dream. I need some sharpshooters. I need some Duroc men and women. I need some people that are willing to march in. I need some people that are willing to march around these state capitals. I need people that are willing to, to do prayer walks every day and decree over these states and shoot at them in the spirit, arrows of God's deliverance into them and persevere and persevere and persevere and persevere. And there is no set amount of times we have to do it. We have to do it until we win. So just encouraging you. In that, God gave a dream saying, hey, you can do this. I just need some sharpshooters. I just want to give you one, share with you one more dream. And then actually, I'm going to rush out of here and head to the airport today. But <clears throat> this is another uh, dream that came uh, just a couple of days, so three or four days, October 30th, just before the election. And, you know, in my mind, this 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 also came to my friend Clay Nash. In my mind, I'm thinking God just saying, keep praying for this for the election, you know, keep praying for the election. Now I know this dream was about now. It's about what we're doing and facing now. So, <clears throat> excuse me, in the dream, he says, Dutch, I dreamed the morning of October 30th that you were leading a team on a rafting trip. The inflatable boat had a had a ballot box in it and we were headed to deliver it to the president we were going to go down river to deliver this ballot box to the president you informed us that just around the bend was severe white water but we could you said we could navigate it we rounded the bend and the white water was more violent than any, he says, I have ever seen in his dream. He looked at it and said, I've never seen anything like this. I asked him to secure the ballot box so that it's not lost overboard. Isn't that good? Secure the ballot box so it isn't lost. You instructed the others tie yourselves in the boat. In other words, this is going to get rough. 
but we're not going to abandon. Tie yourself in, tie the box in. We're going through this. You instructed others to tie themselves in the boat as we must complete this course together. Deep intercession began to come out of our innermost parts in the dream. Tim, that would be my brother, who's in the book, gave instruction to pray in tongues. Listen, if you have your prayer language, I'm asking you pray in the spirit hours a day. Train yourself that when you're when you're doing something and you don't have to focus and concentrate on it, just be quietly praying the spirit. Take walks for an hour. Pray in tongues. Pray in tongues at night till you drift off to sleep. Pray in the spirit. You don't have to. You can do it quietly. You can do it in an airport. That's what I'm going to do. They don't have to know what I'm doing. Pray in the spirit. And that's what he said. <clears throat> you know, my brother was praying about a situation once. And it was a challenging situation. And he just realized, I can't get the right words. I, I, I just don't know how to pray. I'll get the right words. And Holy Spirit spoke to him. He said, why don't you let me take care of this one? And he knew, he knew in his heart, Holy Spirit was saying, just let me pray through you. I know what to pray. So pray in the Spirit. And that's what he said in this dream. He gave instruction, pray in tongues, as, it will, as that will rally the angel armies. Listen, you don't know what you're doing when you're praying in the Spirit. You don't know what you're saying. But heaven knows, and, and this, in this dream he's saying, it's going to release angels when you do that. And, and God knows where they're needed. God knows what precinct, what state, uh, who's trying to pull something. There's something that needs to be exposed that nobody's seeing. God knows where to send an angel and do that. If we pray, he's going to do that. As a deep, and he says, pray in tongues as it will rally angel armies to get us through this dire strait. If we do this, we'll get through this narrow place, this tough season, these rapids that could overthrow everything, mess the whole thing up, get the ballot box, kill us. He says, pray in the spirit, angels will help us. As a deep level of tongues began to come forth, we saw on the riverbank, which was high like a canyon, the cloud of witnesses appearing, appeared, cheering us on. The heaven was saying, and the cloud, great cloud of witnesses, come on, guys, you can do this. The angel armies surrounded them and began to steady the raft. We rounded the third bend. And I'm just going to pause here and say something that I'm not sure of. But I'm wondering if the Lord is just saying to us through this, there will be three phases to this battle because we rounded the third bend. And when we got to the to the rounded the third bend, the water became faster and smooth as glass. So, you know, I believe that God is saying, you know, you, you need you need to get yourself ready for the for the tough ride that's coming. But you need you need to stay engaged because you can do this. But I think he's saying three phases. The third phase, which it would be when things get a little easier and smooth. The first phase, I don't know if it was the election itself, and now we're in the second phase, or or if this this starts after the vote and and we're we're going to move into even tougher times for a season. Does it matter to me? What matters to me is he says, we tie ourselves in and we determine to stay in the boat and do what he says. We're going to get there and he's going to help us. But he said, 
when we rounded that third bend, the water became much faster and smooth. It's like, okay, now we know we've broken through. We can get this done. We could see the president's helicopter on the bank of the river up ahead. He sent three senators, Tom Cotton, Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, to retrieve the ballot box. And this, again, this is not literally them. It's not what God's saying, I don't think. You know, Tom Cotton, one, one friend of mine said, he represents the military, military strategy. That's his background. He's, he's known for brilliant military strategy. Uh, Lindsey Graham, a fighter, Ted Cruz, known as a constitutionalist. So God, God is symbolizing these things through these men. Uh, I need I need fighters. I need wise strategy to come. I, I, I need the Constitution to be honored, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> President Trump never exited the helicopter, but stood in the door and saluted us. He then pointed up into the sky and folded his hands as, as if he were in prayer. He smiled, gave a thumbs up, and he flew away. We remained and began to pray deeply and intensely in tongues once again. I just felt like the Lord is saying through that, you can do this. It's going to be tough, but I need you to persevere. I need you to pray in the Spirit. I need, I need you to tie yourselves in, and no matter how rough it gets, you just need to do this. And if you do, you're going to get the ballot box there safely. So I'm going to see how much time I've need. I need to go, but I do want to read to you um, a couple of quotes just to inspire you. These are in my book, uh, Giants Will Fall. Uh, not trying to promote the book, but if you want to know where they are, you can, you, if you don't, if you have it, you can go to it. If you don't have it, you can, you can uh, order it. But some of our founders, you know, the price they pay, the intensity, the determination. We can do this. We're going to win this war. We're going to gain our independence. Uh, it was remarkable. And we all know the quote by Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. But I want to read to you a more complete version of that speech. A, a, a few other things he said. If we mean not basely to abandon the noble struggle in which we have been so long engaged and which we have pledged ourself, ourselves never to abandon until the glorious object of our contest shall be obtained, we must fight. I repeat it, sir, we must fight. An appeal to arms and to the God of hosts is all that is left us. He's saying appeal to heaven. This this was the appeal to heaven flag days. We must, and John Locke's teachings, appeal to heaven. He said an appeal to arms and to the God of hosts is all that is left us. This is where we are, folks. If we don't, if, if we don't get a miracle, we're not going to win this. The, the, the other side is organized. They're hiding things. They're, they're orchestrating things. We have to have supernatural intervention. We have to have the lawyers. We have to have people that are fighting this. We have to have some, do some peaceful protests to let people know, hey, we're not going away. But we must have supernatural help. Continuing to quote, they tell us, sir, that we are weak, unable to cope with so formidable or formidable an adversary. But when will we be stronger? When shall we be stronger? Will it be next week or the next year? 
Shall we gather strength by lying on our backs and hugging the delusive phantom of hope until our enemies shall have bound us hand and foot? Are we going to just give up and, and wait until the left completely takes over this nation? Sir, we are not weak if we make a proper use of those means which the God of nature has placed in our power. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations. The battle, sir, is not to the strong alone. It is to the vigilant, the active, the brave. The war is inevitable, and let it come. I repeat, sir, let it come. It is in vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. In other words, these delay, no more delay, he's saying. It's, 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 it would, no point in it. Gentlemen may cry peace, peace, but there is no peace. You know, the media right now, get along, concede. Let's don't uh, upset the nation anymore. You know, let's all just get along. After they're finished burning down the cities and tearing things up and screaming at people in restaurants so they can't even eat at peace, then they think they win the election. Say, oh, let's just get along. You know, oh, come on, don't be this way. Let's just get along. The war, he says, has actually begun. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they, what would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. That's the mindset we need today. And one more quickly before I rush off to the airport. Greatness is found when American character and American courage overcome American challenges. When Lewis Morris of New York was about to sign the Declaration of Independence, his brother advised him against it, warning that he would lose all of his property. You know, the, the king, his forces, they're going to take it from you. You're going to lose everything. Morris, a plain-spoken founding father, responded with the following. Damn the consequences. Give me the pen. You got to love that. And I say in the book, that is the eloquence of American action. We need warriors who will stand up, accept the challenge, grab their pens, their prayers, and write history. Turning this nation. I leave you with that. Hang in there. Keep praying. Persevere. We can do this. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Dutch Sheets Ministries. If you would like more information about us or if you've been impacted by this podcast and would like to sew into the ministry, please visit our website at DutchSheets.org.